You're listening to the Dyslexia Mom Life Podcast. I'm Nicole Holcomb, former teacher and school counselor turned civil rights attorney and podcast host. It wasn't that long ago that we learned the reason that our daughter was struggling to learn to read in first grade was dyslexia. Fast forward four years past many hours of research and collaborating with experts in the field of dyslexia. Now I'm sharing the lessons I have learned that took me from being an overwhelmed mom who didn't understand dyslexia to a go-to mom who is helping hundreds of moms each week through education and collaboration. I created the Dyslexia Mom Life podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies and hacks to help you do the same. If you're feeling alone and lost on your parenting dyslexia journey and you're looking to find a mom who gets it, you're in the right place. Let's jump in and get started. Welcome back to the Dyslexia Mom Life podcast. I am so glad that you're here today. We are talking all things special education law and advocacy, and I have a special guest with us today, Ashley Barlow. She has the podcast Special Education Advocacy, and she is also a special education attorney and advocate. And like many of us, she is also the mom to a special needs child. Her One of her sons has Down syndrome. So she comes from the place of giving. She really wants to help other moms and families and kiddos who have struggles and who learn differently. And we have an amazing conversation. I could talk to Ashley all day long. So we immediately connected and we really did have a great conversation. What you're going to hear today is all about advocacy. How do I advocate for my child? How do I know when to hire an advocate? And what can I learn? What do I need to know? How do I get started? So I think you're going to really love today's conversation. And I know you're going to love Ashley Barlow as much as I enjoyed getting to know Ashley and starting a friendship. Please feel free to follow Ashley. She's in all the places you can think of. I love to listen to her podcast, Special Education Advocacy. But today we're talking all about dyslexia and we're talking about how you as the mom can be your child's best advocate. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. All right. I am so excited to have Ashley Barlow with us today. Ashley, welcome to the show. I'm so glad we finally connected and got you on the show. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, it's going to be a great show. I can't wait. I know everyone's going to enjoy what we're going to talk about today, which is all things advocacy. So I'm excited to get started. But before we jump in today and get to all the great pieces we're going to talk about, do you mind just spending a few minutes giving them a little bit of background about who you are, Ashley, for those that don't know Ashley Barlow Company yet? Sure. Yeah, sure. So um, ultimately, I'm a mom. I have two kids. Um, My oldest is 14. So I'm right there in the trenches with the rest of you all. Um, My youngest is 11. He has Down syndrome. His name's Jack. Um, I also am a special education attorney. I'm licensed to practice in Kentucky and Ohio. That's the bulk of my practice. Um, I do a little bit of divorce work and a little bit of estate planning work too, almost always for families that have kids with disabilities. Um, and then I used to be a teacher. So when I sit in IEP meetings, I see things from the aspect of the school perspective, the family perspective, um, even, you know, kind of the related service um, avenue as well. So I really um, look at things from multiple lenses. 
Um, I live in Kentucky. We really love to swim. Uh, I've got a Volkswagen bus. I don't know what, what other details you want. I could go on and on. Right. I love it. Uh, yes. And I love to swim too. And, I, and, I'll, and I'll just say for those moms that are listening, we will do our best to keep it mom friendly and not to slip into legal conversations uh, because I am excited to have another attorney on the podcast to chat. We chatted before. I'm sure we'll chat after the show. So we will do our best though, to make sure that We are using terminology and keeping each other in check on that to make sure that these, you know, the conversation we have today is digestible and is helpful for you and that you walk away with some really good, you know, pieces of next steps when you think about advocacy and what that looks like. So yes, Ashley, that was perfect. I think that that sets us up exactly where we need to be. And I know from working with families, you know, it comes up quite frequently about how do I know about advocacy? Like, what does it mean to be an advocate? And I think sometimes, you know, moms and parents, they, they're trying to decide, do I want to self-advocate or do I want to hire an advocate? And so can we kind of start at the beginning of, you know, when you think about special education advocacy, you know, how do you explain that to the families you work with? If someone says, what does a special ed advocate do? Like, what could I expect that person to do? Or what does that role look like? Yeah, I think that's a really great question and a really great place to start. So I normally tell people that, you know, there are parts of the country where um, very few people go to meetings without special education advocates. Um, And very few people um, go about any part of special education, their journey in special education without an advocate. And then there are places like where I live in in Kentucky and Ohio, kind of the Midwest South-ish, where um, special ed advocates are not super common. And I don't know the reason for that, but I think it probably lies in kind of access to resources and that sort of thing. So what advocates can do is a multitude of things. Obviously they can go to meetings and they can advocate for you. And the benefit to that is that advocates have a certain skill set. So they've got the special education content, you know, they're familiar with different kinds of curricula, and they're familiar with different um, teaching strategies, behavioral strategies, all the psychological testing, how to interpret results, and that sort of thing. Um, They also have the um, special education laws kind of at least um, uh, marinated enough that they can interpret them. They aren't attorneys, but they can um, help to follow um, the guidance that, it, that the framework of the law provides. And then almost most importantly, in my estimation, they also have um, a good skill set negotiation skills. And so they can help you to do the actual advocacy part. And really, I think it's that three-prong approach that helps to support parents the most. Absolutely. And I have found too, we're in Georgia, so we're in Atlanta. So we're, you know, we have, have advocates available to us. I think kind of piggybacking off what you said as well is that it also, I think, depends sometimes on the school districts you're dealing with as far as, you know, kind of, is it a contentious school district? Is it a district that that does meet parents in the middle and try to work through things? Or is it one that always says no? So I think it kind of depends on kind of who you're dealing with. But the other thing I have found too with working with local advocates is a lot of times that person has such credibility that when you bring them to a meeting, it kind of de-escalates it from the beginning, right? Like people are like, oh, it's Ashley. Hey, Ashley, you know? And so they know your mannerisms. They know your expectation of excellence. They know that you are there and focused on the student 
Um, I've also seen the flip side of that with advocates, right? That have not had a good reputation and it's been, you know, let's just say not a good situation. So contentious from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So it can be, um, you know, it, it, it kind of depends, I think, but I also think that, you know, hiring an advocate, like you were saying, does depend on kind of, I guess, what the the tone is in the area you live in and, and the access to. But then I think it does become valuable when someone is there going, hold on, wait a minute. Like there's a piece here we're missing because even myself as a parent, you know, I have a degree, I'm an attorney, but when you start talking about my child, something in my brain switches and I'm in parenting mode and it's an emotional piece sometimes for us. And so um, do you find that advocacy helps kind of, I don't want to say break that wall, but does it kind of help give that additional uh, support and um, yeah. just moving things along and getting what your child needs? Or do you find that in your work as well? I do. And I think that that's part of my goal as an advocate. I think, you know, when I'm advocating for a family, what I'm always trying to do is to shift the framework. I oftentimes in in my courses and in the stuff I put out on social media, I'm also, I'm always talking about where the objectivity and the subjectivity marry together and create this perfect blend of advocacy. And you're right. So often as parents, I'm a parent too, we get so emotional and we think about, you know, when I describe my Jack, I always describe his wicked shock of blonde hair and his crooked teeth and his hilarious wit. And I just want them to see that, but what's that have to do with fractions? Very little. Right. And so when I am advocating for my kid, I'm really stuck in that kind of subjective, but he's so great and he's so deserving but we've got to put the objectivity in there. What's the data say? What's the law say? What's our framework here? And so what advocates can do is they can come in and they can look at things from that more objective lens. And sometimes that helps the parents. Sometimes it helps the school. Ultimately, it should help the entire team. So one way I say this to my clients, Nicole, is, you know, people will say, well, I've already said that. And I say, okay, so so with your hands, picture two kind of talking hands, like your shadow puppets that are just talking. If the school says this and the parents say this, and then A says this and B says this, and you go A, B, A, B, A, B. And finally, the parents get to the point where they want to stomp their feet and say, listen to me. I'm like, that's when you know you are not being heard. You're saying words, but they aren't. Nobody's making any sense of what you're saying. You aren't being heard. Right. And you need somebody to come in and reframe it Mm -hmm. so that it's effective. It's not going to be effective if you keep being the talking hands. You just keep saying what B is going to say. So as an advocate, I'm not going to go in and say, well, the parents have already said this. Let me say it again, because I've got comma J period D period behind my name. (laughs) Right. It doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) I wish it did. I paid a lot of money for those two letters. I wish it worked. But it doesn't. And so therefore, what I have to do as an advocate to be effective is I have to reframe it. And you're right, not as an aside, but my goal always has to be to get the team to come together for some kind of effective change as opposed to an adversarial approach to it. And I'm sure we'll talk about conflict. I believe in ideological conflict. I really right. do. So, so I think what I'm hearing you say then is that 
when you're, when you as a parent, because that was one of my questions, like, how do I know as a parent when I need to hire an advocate? So it sounds like when you're in a situation where you're trying to express what you believe is your needs of your child and what you're seeing at home and, you know, your suggestions of kind of what next step should be. And then you hear the district on the other end or the teacher saying possibly just the opposite of that. And you're not really, you're talking at each other, but not talking to each other, I guess. And you know when that happens. I mean, as an adult, you're listening. You know when that happens, when you feel like we're just, we're not clicking, we're not communicating, we're we're not hearing each other. And that may take, I mean, you may not feel that at the meeting, right? When things are hot and heated, it may be that when you get home and you really start digesting and having hard conversations with yourself that you realize, mm, yeah, it might be time to hire an advocate. Because I think not everybody knows, like, when is that bright line for them? And it's different for everybody, right? Like, when am I going to jump in and make that decision? But um, let's talk a little bit about People here, I mean, for for example, you also are an attorney. There are many advocates, obviously, that are not attorneys. What when do I need an advocate and when do I need an attorney as a parent? Like, how do I know when to hire which? I think that's a really great question. Um, so the answer is probably not super clear. I'll give you the attorney answer. It depends. <laughs> Okay, um, you I can't see me on video, but I almost spit my water out. I was drinking when she said that. <laughs> that's, that's a lawyer answer. It, well, it depends. It depends. You should you know, go I, get legal advice on that answer. Right? So many of you are, are raising yeah. um, teenagers and I'm raising a teenager and I and he wants the black and white answer. And I'm like, I live in the gray. I'm a lawyer. I can't give you a black and white. If it, if it Sometimes I say, Griffin, if you have to know, the answer right now is no. Are you happy with that? Or do you want to come into my gray? area. <laughs> right. Where do you want to live today? Do you want to live in the gray area? Yeah. So the answer to that is, is in the gray. You know, there right. are really very depends. many things that advocates can do. Ultimately, the, the laws and the regulations and the guidance um, is very state specific um, as to what advocates do. I have a training course that trains advocates. So I have looked into this quite a bit. Um, but there's also something called unauthorized practice of law. And there are things right. that advocates cannot do because it is traipsing upon the land that is owned by attorneys. It is um, practicing law and that in, in many states is a crime. And so, you know, here's, here's the thing. You might start with an advocate. You might start with an attorney. There are advocates that can do things that look legal. So like in some states, advocates can file the due process complaint. Advocates can file um, complaints with the Office of Civil Rights, probably with your state agency for some kind of procedural violation. Um, in some states, they cannot file due process complaints, though. And vice versa also applies. There, I'm an attorney that goes to meetings. I don't file a ton of complaints because I have a very um, collaborative approach but there are some attorneys that will only file complaints. They only do federal complaints and due process complaints. And so really, you know, it could be very clear. Like I know I have to right. file due process. Well, I would recommend an attorney. Um, but there are lots of us that live in the gray that can sure. do anything. Sure. And I think too, I, I talk a lot about this on my podcast and I believe you, you do too in your practice as well, which, you know, Nine times out of 10, though, maybe 10 times out of 10, it all comes back to communication. 
and the way we communicate and the, and even the other side, not always the parent, but sometimes the other side that I heard you so while ago, you know, even when we think about the tone is which is how we say something, how we go into a meeting and, and do we, do we look anyone in the face or we just sit down and look at our book? Do we speak to everyone? Good morning. Hope you're doing well. Like, are you, are you working on relationships? And, and many people will say, well, why would I need to do that? Well, you should. I mean, we all live together. This is your child's tribe. These are the people that teach your children all day long. They're, they should be invested in your child, but you also have valuable information that they need to know. Um, so it seems like, and I, I work a lot in compliance, and it seems like it always breaks down somewhere with communication where there's just, and and sometimes, unfortunately, both will draw a line in the sand and, and say, I'm not crossing this. And they're just not, there's that broken relationship and you have to get someone else involved. Um, so a lot of it, I mean, I don't know if you see that, but I see a lot of just either miscommunication where one party thought I was saying this, but the other party heard something different. And so, you know, my training as a counselor, I would always try to restate things. Okay, so I'm hearing you say this, or is this, am I understanding this correctly? Um, and it's okay for parents to do that too. Okay, so are you saying that we're my child's going to get three hours of services? Or are they going to get... 30 minutes, three times a week. Like I'm confused. It's, it's fine for you to ask questions. Stop and ask questions if you don't understand as a parent. But I think, you know, when I think about hiring advocates, there are times when then that's, that's the next step. Let me ask you this though. You say, I know that you train and work with really closely with advocates. What about from a parent's perspective? If, if I know a lot of parents, well, not a lot of parents, but I've met a lot of parents, let me say it this way, who have gone back and gotten training to tutor their own children, have homeschooled their own children, have just really got thought outside the box. Do you ever find there's a benefit for a parent to learn some advocacy skills to better help their own child? Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. Of course, you need those three prongs of information as well. So it's never too late to start. Buy a book, take an online course, join a parent network, get on a Facebook group, go someplace where you can get information that you can trust, objective, outlined information. You need the nuts and bolts and you need it from start to finish. So why do I get an evaluation? That's the beginning. How do I ask for an IEP? You know, in, in specific learning disability world, children with dyslexia and other SLDs, eligibility is like the, the, the meat. <laughs> That's the big hurdle. So what is eligibility? What? How do I become eligible for special education in my state? And then what am I coveting? What does that IEP give me? So you need everything from evaluations and eligibility through the actual IEP. How do we build an IEP? Why do we start at present levels? And how do present levels build into goals? And what do the goals actually provide me? What is specially designed instruction? Why do we take progress on the goals? I'm working my way through the IEP as I'm answering this question. You need to know the parts of the IEP all the way down to, okay, now what does this look like in the regular school day? So the content of the actual special education document. You also have to have that legal framework. When I ask the question, how many, when I ask for an evaluation, how many days do they have to evaluate before we get back together? What are my rights as a parent? What are my child's rights? Those kinds of things. You can't advocate without knowing what you're entitled to. You can't advocate in a vacuum of information. 
And then that third prong, the skills to get what you need. So when you were just talking a minute ago, Nicole, one of the things that I would recommend um, is that everybody who is listening right now, swipe up. I don't know how you do it if you're on an Android, but swipe up, (laughs) go over to Amazon and type in the five dysfunctions of a team. You are on a team. There's a book. The author's name is Patrick Lencioni. You are on a team. Your state might call it an ARD. I never remember what the D stands for. An ARC, that's a committee. A PPT, that's a team. An IEP team. You are on a committee or a team or some kind of group of people that is tasked with the job of working together to make a program for your child. And I don't think you can do it without communicating often, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annually. But you must force one another in that team to have the kind of ideological conflict that will create effective, productive change for the child. And that is hard and you can't do it without a certain skill set. And by the way, by the way, there is a ginormous line of cases in America that says the parents had the opportunity to ask for blah, 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 and they didn't. And so therefore they don't get it. And so you could be legally detrimented if you don't get involved, if you don't know. Right. And I think sometimes too, you know, parents go into a meeting and you are so overwhelmed with everything, right? Like many times, especially like the eligibility, I know for us anyway, you know, we didn't get all those documents ahead of time. We found out what we found out at the meeting where we decided what were the services going to be. So we didn't have time to really digest and reflect on what we wanted as a family and think about the eligibility components. And so it can be a lot to take on. And I find with families sometimes going exactly to what you were just saying, Ashley, which is it's a little intimidating, right? Like for some families, they are dyslexic or they have, you know, what I call the dyslexia sisters, you know, they had ADHD or they had dysgraphia or they had other, you know, learning challenges and school was not a great place for them, right? School was anxiety provoking. And now I've got to go to school and try to explain to them how the, how my child's needs aren't being met. And everyone around the room, the 16 people, it feels like when it's really four, um, (laughs) it'd be very, you know, very intimidating to raise your hand and say, okay, hold on you've completely lost me. And, and as educators, I've been guilty of that. You get in the mode of this is an IP and this is this, and this is, you know, you're spouting out all these things and forgetting and you're leaving the parent behind yeah. because they are not saying, hold up. I don't know. What, what does ESY mean? Extended school year. Okay. Thank you. You know, yeah. yeah. ESY. I just think for a second for myself, that is the right acronym, right? But there's <laughs> those pieces that, and I, so I want to encourage moms that are listening you know, do your research, understand what you need to understand, but also don't be afraid to ask questions and be involved. The whole part of the IEP is for the involvement, like you said, of the team. You are a voice on the team. And so I think sometimes it it can get overwhelming, especially when you feel like, okay, it's just, I'm here and there's all these people in the room. You know, I I just looked behind me to see if it was placed to me because, um, in the first like two or three pages of the federal law of IDEA, it 
as is the case with many other laws, um, it has findings. Like this is what we as Congress know. This is what we have found. This is what we have discovered. And that is based on years and years and years of research. And the word parent is in the federal law. I have a count someplace on one of my blogs, like over 400 times. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> and the reason why is because they say in those first couple of, of paragraphs, we have found that forming a team with the parents yields the best educational output. There are studies that show that, and there are zero studies that show anything else. There are zero studies that say, if we leave the parents out of this, things are going to go well for the kid. And so what we have to do as parents, and believe me, I started and intimidated as well. It did not go well. I took a rosary to an IEP meeting. That's how intimidated I was. (laughs) So... What we as parents have to do is we have to wait until we feel empowered and inspired, because if we talk from a place of of our heels, if we talk from a place of intimidation, if we talk from a place of anger or frustration, we aren't going to be effective. So we have to have those skills in place, and there are ways to get those skills very accessibly. That, that will help you with your learning style. You know, if you read, read three or four books. If you like online classes, take an online class. If you need to learn from somebody else, go to a bunch of seminars, find a parent support group, go to your decoding dyslexia organization or your IDA and see if they have a conference. See if there's, you know, if they can connect you to a college professor that's teaching students that are going into special education so that you're learning the way that you learn, um, but you have to have that skill set because not only are you not going to be effective without it, but you might actually cause some damage and, and cause a, a, a deficit from which you need to come back in order to get to that change place. And it's, it is it is truly, um, I'm a Jimmy Buffett fan, and Jimmy Buffett says, the pleasure is worth the pain. When you get that great IEP, when your child gets those services, today my little boy walked in, our fight was inclusion. My little guy has Down syndrome and our fight was inclusion. I don't even like fight. I don't, I don't use the word fight often, but we had a really hard time getting him into an inclusive environment in kindergarten. He's now in fifth grade and he walked into school with a friend and I thought that's inclusion, Right. you know, and when you see Mm -hmm. that. That is worth every bit of the reading and the research and the therapy appointments and the tutoring and everything else. Right. And that, and that too goes to the piece that I talk about as well on the podcast, which is that whole invisible parenting that we all have to do that our family doesn't see, our neighbors don't see, our best friends don't see. It is a, I mean, we are blessed to have the children we have and we, our route looks a little different. Our parenting path looks a little different. And these pieces do feel enormous sometimes and they feel like a heavy burden, but they were placed there because they know we're the best person for the job, right? Like we are essential to the role of parenting for our children. And so, you know, our children can't benefit without us being involved. And so if someone is still listening at this point in this episode, 
they are here because they want to be that type of parent. They want to be all invested. They want to do what's best for their child. And they're seeking, you know, resources like what you and I have to provide just context, information. You know, we're trying to guide them to the right and the best uh, available resources because we don't know it all. We're parents and we work in these fields, but there's no way for us even to know everything for a parent. Um, and so I just, you know, continue to encourage moms to, like you said, do the work. Yeah, it is, it is work, but you're going to reap the benefits and your child will as well when you're, you're armed with the information that you, you need. Um, but you're right. It is, it is treacherous work, you know, I mean, and I think to be fair that we have to continue to, to say that it is, it is not all sunshine and roses. I mean, literally the example I just gave is a perfect example because I walked back to my car. I hesitantly walked a little bit behind him because that's kind of a new thing that we're doing uh-huh. and it was exciting, but it's also icy in Kentucky and whatever. <laughs> so I was like, eh, I hung back a little bit, got back to my car and with one of the doors opened, he had locked, we're having some pandemic induced anxiety. So mm-hmm. he had locked the doors from the inside. And then I closed the door when he was out of the car so I got back to my car, kind of in a pseudo car line situation, and my <laughs> car was on and locked. You couldn't get in. <laughs> so, you know, oh, wow. it's Bless like you. two steps forward, one step back. Right, and, right. And we and earn ups and downs right that happens, right? Like just parenting in general is up and down, but now we have this, this additional layer of parenting Um I mean, it's definitely made me a better person. It's definitely pushed me outside my comfort zone. And definitely my daughter has helped me to grow as a person. And so, and and have this podcast and to reach people. Like I, I don't know that I would have done that without her, right? So um, so I'm just, you know, but but you're right. I say all the time, you know, our kids are amazing kiddos, but it's not easy for them. It's not, you know, and it's not easy for us. Uh, but we just have to stick in there together, right? We just have to be there for one another. And our communities are amazing. I know that the communities that you're in are as well, but specifically the dyslexia community, uh, you know, they're just, they're there for each other and they're very welcoming and very, you know, people answer questions. We have a a Facebook group where people really, you know, really support one another. Um, I'm very big in positivity and inspiration. So I know that you have bad days, but it's not, um, I'm very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Very purposeful about how our Facebook group looks. It's not a lot of negativity in there. I know sometimes we have bad experiences, but it's all about kind of helping each other, you know, to continue to look at the bright spot. And so that's hard. And there's days that that I can't do that either, but I come back every day and, and recommit to, to be the parent I want to be. So I do know that that's, that's difficult work sometimes. Um, and I know the advocacy is just, it's a whole nother skill set, like you said, and, and it, and it's perfectly okay to ask for help when you need help. If you need to hire an advocate that also just kind of helps you in the background, many advocates will help in the background and say, read this or refer to this. If you don't want them to go to meetings with you, if you feel like that, that's not going to help in your situation. So like you said, it is very individualized. I just feel like there is, um, you know, it's a, a unique skill set that families have to learn, but they also don't know always where to begin. So I think this was you know, an invaluable conversation for us to be having. Let me ask you one question and then I'm going to ask you one last question, but it's more of a, a, a mom question. But the last question I want to ask you about advocacy is that 
Are there any, I kind of alluded to this earlier in our conversation, but as let's say someone says today, I, I want to learn more, but I think I might need an advocate to kind of help get me started because I'm having some concerns. I'm not sure how to deal with. What are some red flags? Like, let's say they interview a couple of advocates in their area. Is there any red flags? Like I kind of alluded to some earlier, but where you would go, Ooh, yeah, no. Um, is there anything they should watch for as they're speaking to, and I don't want you to speak obviously ill of anybody else, but just, you know, as you're looking, like I can think of things off the bat that I would say, be careful for, but is there anything you can think of that would be, and maybe it's more general, maybe it's someone that's, you know, I mean, maybe you want someone to go in and be very contentious. I don't think that's the best avenue, but some people want that. They want to see that person being a bulldog. If that's what you want, then you don't want to hire me, for example. I'm very, <laughs> I'm very related and I'm not an advocate, but I'm very relationship building. Communication's really big for me. I can see both sides of the table because I've been on the other side of the table as an educator. So do you have any words of wisdom there, Ashley? <laughs> so yeah, I throw all I mean, that at you. I don't think that's effective. So if that's what you want, I think I would spend some time really looking into advocacy strategy and, and deciding if you think that's effective. Um, and maybe it's more person specific, right? Like look into the sociology of it and see if you think it'll be effective with one problematic person on your team or something. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot that I would look for in an advocate. I definitely think the um, consultation method is something that would appeal to me. So um, do I want somebody that's just going to consult me? Um, consult so tell them what me. that means. What does that mean to you? When right. you consultation. Yeah. And, and guide me so mm-hmm. that I remain the face of my child's advocacy. Are they going yeah. to tell me, you know, kind of educate me on the content and the advocacy style and say, here's what you are entitled to and here's how to get it. Yeah, I love go that. out and get it. Mm-hmm. Um, or are they going to become the face of my child's advocacy themselves or team with me? Um, is this, you know, a one-time consult and what's that look like? Or can they do a really comprehensive file review for me and kind of really mm-hmm. dive deep and, and geek out about my child's <laughs> profile for me? Um, or do, um, they are, or are they just going to put me on a retainer and this is what I get on a monthly basis for the retainer? You know, I think that right. the mm-hmm. relationship between me and the advocate is very important. I want to know what I'm getting for my money. Right. Um, another thing is definitely the personality style. Mm-hmm. We hired an advocate very early in our journey with our son. And um, she was adversarial with me. I would say things and she would say, she basically disagreed. And I really like her. She ended up to give me the piece of advice that got it done. It was a social piece. I needed to go to one particular person and I went to the person and it, and it resolved. Um, So she got it done, but it was as hard on me as the stress of the advocacy was. And so I was like, this relationship that I'm relying on is just as hard as the hard thing, which I did not enjoy. And I always say, you know, you don't have to be compatible with everybody in the world. I'm a really collaborative person, but I'm not um, compatible with everybody. So you have to find somebody that's compatible with you to the extent that your marketplace has other options. Right. (laughs) Mine did not. Right. (laughs) Um. So I think the relationship piece of it is also 
important. But then I would ask very specific questions. You know, what's your success rate? Do you know people in this particular district? Um, what what are your personal views on X, Y, and Z? And I really don't care what their personal views are, but I, I care about how they answer that. So the way I answer that is that doesn't matter. I'm paid to advocate for you. Um, And I don't have to really kind of internalize that, which you, you know, what your values are, but I have to know what your interests and values are so that we don't get stuck on, on a position. Right. What the, the real key to advocacy and I know we aren't talking advocacy strategy here, right? But like <laughs> the real key to advocacy is to advocate from a point of interest, your why, as opposed mm-hmm. to the position. This is what I want. We we must have Orton Gillingham. Well, why do you want Orton Gillingham? Well, because it's multi-sensory and because um, to implement it with fidelity, you have to do it five times a week for 45 minutes at this grade level. And I think five times a week at 45 minutes would be ideal for my kid. Okay, well, those are your interests and we can work with that. But we can maybe do that with Wilson or Barton or whatever is accessible to the school or whatever. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the, the key. So I really want to know kind of the answer to that question also. Yeah, that makes sense. And how important do you, this is kind of piggybacking off that too, but how important do you think it is for the advocate to be familiar with the specific learning challenge or difference your child has like for example all of my parents have the baseline of dyslexia right but it could also be ADHD dysgraphia but let's say this particular advocate only works in some other special education but it's it's specifically not dyslexia do you feel like that skill set is okay or does most advocates have a skill set where they can talk from multiple I mean is that something a parent should ask about they're like how familiar are you with dyslexia and the needs of dyslexics If you ran a podcast for children in any other disability category other than SLD, I would say minimally important. SLD eligibility is so nuanced and specific that I do think it is important to have a certain understanding of specific learning disabilities, plural, including dyslexia. I also think that reading Sally Shaywitz's book yes <laughs> would be a bonus. <laughs> it um, is a bit to the, get through, but it is great to continue to reference. But here's the reason yeah, why good. I think that's important with and we're dyslexia. talking about overcoming dyslexia for those of you that aren't familiar with that book. Yeah. Go back to Amazon. <laughs> yes. We will have it in the show notes, but yes. <laughs> um so here's the reason why I think that's important. Dyslexia is still, unfortunately, not really understood by lay people, mm-hmm. not really understood by the school. And so we're talking about advocacy here. And I don't want to go in and be like, well, this is everything that mom has told me about dyslexia and just parrot it, it into the school and become like bossy pants teacher, college professor on dyslexia to the school. That is not an effective advocacy style. So unless I am very familiar with the content, all I'm going to do is I'm going to parrot what the mom has said. And I'm not going to be able to effectively give them the kind of like nuanced details about phonological processing or executive functioning or whatever is applicable to this child and this child's profile 
um, because I don't really have that skill set. And Mm -hmm. so, and I think too, Ashley, even to follow up with like, if a school says we don't have OG, but we have this program, if you're not familiar with what a dyslexic kid might need, then you won't know. You'll have to look at the parent and go, so is this gonna, is this gonna get it? Like, I don't, like, I don't, you as the advocate won't know what questions to follow up with to make sure it's still a good fit for the student. Right. Right. Yeah. So I, so I agree, but then this is where I'm in the gray. (laughs) Here we go again. (laughs) I think anybody worth their weight is willing to do a little bit of research. Research. Um, And so, you know, I mean, there are some really, there are millions of different names of diagnoses that impact children. And ultimately Mm -hmm. what I want to know is I want to know how the disability impacts the child. I want to know about their learning profile. Mm-hmm. I want to know um, what do, what kind of organizational skills does the child have? Talk to me about initiation. Talk to me about impulsivity. Um, what's your child motor planning look like? I want to know how does dyslexia impact your child? And then also, how does your, your child learn best? So the essence of special education is identifying specific needs and capitalizing on their strengths in order to help them make meaningful progress. And we do that with specially designed instruction. And so dyslexia is something that, I mean, in the first chapter, I think of of Sally Shaywitz's book, she explains like that the research shows that having a name for the struggles that the child is having creates an identity that is extremely positively effective. So identifying as a dyslexic is very, a very wonderful thing to be able to have. And I know that in the Down syndrome community, it's the, it's the um, most commonly occurring genetic disorder. And it's great. There's all kinds of research and there's communities and, and there's so much support. So the same exists in dyslexia. So I get that. But at the end of the day, talking (laughs) out of the other side of my mouth, all I really care about to advocate for a child is What's their profile look like? And from their profile, then I can advocate for what they need. Right. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. Well, last question. You're going to love this one. I, and thank you. All this information has been amazing. And uh, thank you for everything. Uh, this question, though, is, is always a question I love to ask, which is, you know, what is what would you say is your best mom hack right now? What are you doing to save time, be more productive? Like, what is something you could share with our community that you're doing that you're like, you tell your best friend about, like, you got to try this. Like, what are you doing right now? Well, I just told you about hydration for my yes, tell them. <laughs> and sometimes these seem simple, but they're like, oh yeah, I should know this. So can so, I tell, can I do yes. two? Cause I have a better one too. Okay. So okay. make sure you drink plenty of water. It's her first one. <laughs> and do a mask, just a mask from TJ Maxx. It helps with your downturn, which is like your frowny face because that's dehydration. I just learned. And, and if you could see me on this zoom, I'm so beautiful. I'm just kidding. Okay. He's all hydrated. My other one is an executive functioning thing. So every Sunday morning, I sit down with my cup of coffee and Sunday today with Willie Geist, and I write down all of our appointments. Yes, it is on my phone and it is on a ginormous calendar in the kitchen as well. I do it on notebook paper. Here's what time all the practices are. Here is what time. Um, If I'm working late, if my husband's working early, all of those things go on this one piece of notebook paper. Then in the left-hand column, I write who's covering any childcare that is needed. 
And then I meal plan from that because I know now, oh, we aren't driving home on Tuesday. We're driving two on Tuesday, which means we need a crock pot meal. And so underneath that in cursive, then it's, it's not color coded because I can't be that organized, but in cursive, instead of print, I write what we are eating that day. And then I go back into my calendar. And if, for example, I have to make a crock pot meal, I will actually put on my calendar at seven o'clock with a 15 minute reminder, roast in the crock pot so that I don't forget to make the meal that I've so carefully planned. So I meal plan and I week plan. And then because we're the hub of all the communication in our family. So like we have to talk to all the babysitters and we have to tell our husband what the tutor said to do and Tuesday night homework because spelling's been such an anxiety producing blow. And piano got moved to a different time and yeah. (laughs) It's so terrible. So then what I do is I take a picture of it just on my phone. It's nothing fancy. And I email it to all those people or text it rather to all the people in the left-hand column. So if you're babysitting on Tuesday, this is your confirmation. If you are picking up on Wednesday and it's different, my carpool people are used to knowing what I'm eating on Wednesday. It's a little obnoxious, but it is the only way for me to survive. It is the only way for it all to work. And then when the feet, when the people say what's for dinner or who's driving or why are we blah, blah, blah. I say, you need to master this phrase, moms. I say, consult the schedule. That is the secret to life. I love it too, because you've made it simple, right? Like it doesn't have to be complex, but it keeps us as moms so organized. I was reading a book over the weekend, I think it's called Stretch Too Thin by Jessica, I think it's Turner. And she was talking about the, the things as moms and as women that we keep in our mind, like what are all the things that you're constantly processing, which is like you were just saying, like, what night are we not going to need to do dinner? And what night are we going to need to pick up a, sa- a sub or, you know, all of those things. And I love that you just sit down and say, okay, so kind of what does my week look like and, and what are we going to be doing? So I love that example. It's great. So well, thank you for that. Uh, and, and it's good just to, I'm always curious how other moms are productive because that's something that is kind of a, a passion for me. I always like to know how, how, you know, and could you pick up things you're like, oh, I can incorporate that. Oh, I can incorporate that too. So and we definitely talked about the water, making sure we get plenty of that. So yes, for your downturn. That's right. That's right. Um, so uh, Ashley, share with them how, you know, if someone's like, I want to connect with Ashley, I want to follow her and what she's, and she's got some amazing stuff out there, guys. If you're an Instagram person, love all her, her IG stuff. It's great. So uh, I kind of put a plug there, but they don't know like what does she, what name is she under? So uh, it was their company name or what? So tell them, uh, you know, tell the moms that are wanting to follow up with you or to find you and follow you. Where's the best place to do that? So I am on Instagram at Ashley Barlow Company. It's Ashley Barlow Co. That is the same on Facebook. Um, The website is AshleyBarlowCo.com. And um, I have a podcast called Special Education Advocacy with Ashley Barlow. It's wherever you listen. Um, And I've got some free and paid resources on the website. You can also find links in social media. So hop on over. Oh, great. And we will make sure we have all that in the show notes too. So you can go to dyslexiamomlife.com and you can click on the podcast link there and it will take you to all the good things there so that you can follow Ashley like I do. I enjoy all the things that she chats about and I knew I just had to have her on the show. We've been working to try to coordinate our schedule. So I'm so glad we were able to do that. And Ashley, thank you so much for being here and, and sharing and serving in our community. We so appreciate you. 
Thank you. This has been awesome. Thanks for listening today. If you want to learn more about dyslexia and raising a child with dyslexia, head over to dyslexiamomlife.com for more dyslexia resources. If you want more support or to chat about this episode, come join me and other amazing moms in our private Facebook group, Dyslexia Mom Life Podcast Community. Be sure to introduce yourself to the group. Have a great week and remember, you got this.